Welcome to Seen and Heard in Edmonton, the podcast about bloggers and podcasters in the capital city of Alberta. I'm your host, Karen Unland, and today we have something a little bit different. This is an edited version of the discussion that we had at an event called Taproot Live, What's Your Urban Planning Wish? We invited Ryan Stevens and Michelle Taylor to share their urban planning wishes for Edmonton, and then we had planner Eric Backstrom and architect Shafraz Kaba comment on what it would take to make those dreams come true. This was a live event that MacMail and I put on in June to do out loud what we typically do with a taproot story, that is to tap into someone's curiosity and then explore it in a way that is useful and interesting to others. Taproot Edmonton is a source of curiosity-driven stories about the city cultivated by the community, and you can read our stories at taprootedmonton.ca. That is also where you can become a Taproot member. Members get to start our stories by asking a question. They can indicate how curious they are about other members' questions, and they also get other perks like a discount on live event tickets, and they get the satisfaction of helping us pay freelancers to put more stories about Edmonton into the world. Again, for all of that, visit taprootedmonton.ca. Seen and Heard in Edmonton is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. ATB Financial is making it possible for us to build this network to help podcasters create and businesses succeed. And you'll learn more about that later in this episode. Now let's travel back in time to June 21st, 2017 at the Sugar Swing Ballroom and listen to some big dreams at Taproot Live. What's your urban planning wish? Thank you. All right, so I want to introduce you to our awesome and brave panelists today. Um, on the far right here, my right, is Ryan Stevens. He's an Edmonton-based freelance writer with a passion for urbanism, heritage, and public engagement. And by day, he is the communications coordinator with the Edmonton Heritage Council. By night, he volunteers as the Pechacucha Knights co-chair with Edmonton's Next Gen. He's also one of Taproot's storytellers, and he's working on a story right now on the bikers who hang out at White Avenue's uh, Tim Hortons. So that'll be a fun story. Um, Ryan is also the guy that asked this question, this big, big question about what's your urban planning wish. And he shared his, which he's going to talk about more today, about creating a Highline-like park on the top deck of the high-level bridge. Beside Ryan, or no, I'm going to come over here. Commenting on Ryan's idea is Eric Backstrom, an urban planner with a focus on creating walkable communities. Most of his experience is developing long-term visions for redevelopment in the city's older neighborhoods, and his current position is with the city of Edmonton as a senior planner, urban initiatives. He writes that he can occasionally be spotted reading a book while walking to work across a certain low old bridge. So he shares your love. He's not going to squelch your dream there, right? Our other dream is going to come from Michelle Taylor. She worked for years as a senior business analyst, but has now shifted her interests to writing and communications. On her website, Bandwidth Era, she defines herself as a writer, a cynic who is secretly an optimist, a nerd, and a good citizen, or trying her best anyway. I think that that would probably describe all of us, right? Yeah. Uh, she's also a taproot storyteller, and she's got a story in the works on why Edmonton joined the Biophilic Cities Network. So biophilia is going to come up a lot tonight. And she's going to share her idea for Nature Bombing Edmonton, um, which is an idea around her holding a design competition to introduce natural elements to Jasper Avenue. 
And commenting on Michelle's ideas, Shafraz Kaba, an architect with Manask Isaac and a well-known advocate of biophilic cities. He's a founding member of the Media Art and Design Exposed or Made in Edmonton Society, which creates public programs that bring design, art, and architecture to the public. And he's a founding member of the Edmonton Design Committee, a project review panel for downtown Edmonton. Please welcome our panelists. Okay, so Ryan, what is your big idea? Um, I, I should start by saying I, I can't really take credit for creating the idea. I think what really caused the snap in my mind was actually a really great uh, photoshopped rendering that I saw in a tweet that it turns out was made by a volunteer of the Edmonton Bike Commuter Society, um, where they actually just they did a rendering of what the, the high-level bridge would look like with a, uh, a Highline-esque design. So the streetcar was there, there were pedestrians, there were bikes, and everybody was living together peacefully. <laughs> and I thought, wow. And, and so at the, the reason I kind of really got obsessed with it, I think, is because I'm, I'm a bike commuter. I live on this side of the river. I work north of downtown. So the high level is is really my commuting lifeline, like a lot of people. And uh, I also work every day in Heritage, so I, I have a deep love of the high level bridge. Um, and I, I really would love to see it brought back to life. I mean, it's, it's not dead by any means, but I think just that the more I thought about it, the more I looked at old pictures of the bridge where both levels were used regularly back in the old days. I thought, you know, why aren't we doing this now? Why Maybe just it explain how much the top right. deck used to be used. Yeah, so if, if you track down some archival photos, you'll find that actually on the top deck, and, and this is a, a response to all those haters that say there's not enough space, there were three rail lines on the top deck at one time um, with, with trains going by constantly um, while cars were going underneath. Um, I think at that time there wasn't a pedestrian path, but I'm not 100% sure on the lower level. Um, nevertheless, I, you see those photos and you're like, wow, yeah, this is, you know, obviously it can hold the weight. It's got enough space to hold all of this, this activity. Um, of course, we don't need three rail lines today, but why not replace those two outer lines with, uh, you know, three or four meters of boardwalk on either side of a, a central line um, for the streetcar? Um, and by no means should we get into that tangent today, but I think it would be immensely beneficial for the streetcar, which in my opinion is a very wonderful, somewhat underutilized uh, thing that Edmonton has. So why would it be good for us to, to spend time and money in fixing that part up? Well, I think, I think the culture right now is right. Uh, we've got a fresh bike grid on the north side and a very walkable neighborhood on uh, the south side. And I think if we, they, they're very poorly connected. Um, I think anybody who regularly cycles or even walks across a high level knows that after the barriers were put in, uh, it got a little bit more tight, it got a little bit more intense. Uh, it's, it's an intimidating place for all but the most confident of, of cyclists, especially. Um, I know, I'm sure most people who have biked across it have felt that 
you know, small pang of fear when you're coming head on with a with a cyclist coming the other way and all it takes is half an inch of, of handlebars hitting to, to be a disaster. And I know it's happened before. So I, I think I think the time is right. I think more people are gonna be getting onto their bikes. It's only gonna get busier. Uh, we're only gonna be having these conversations more and more about walkable communities and bikeable communities. Um, and I think I just envision in Edmonton where the grid of efficient cycling stretches from White Ave and especially to the north side of downtown, but also absolutely past that. Um, but I think we really have to have that core base covered. And when, when you ex described this idea, you, you called it Highline on the high level. So tell me a little bit more about what was inspiring about the Highline Park in New York that you thought we could do something like not the same, but similar or in the same league here. Uh, well, I think, I think what really inspired me about the High Line is that it was such a community-activated uh, project. Uh, it was bound to be torn down. The government uh, didn't care about it in New York, and if the community didn't uh, hadn't have stepped up, then we wouldn't have had this world-class uh, resource that that New York now has. And and that's not really the first precedence. There's there's also the Promenade Plante in in Paris that uh, likewise is a viaduct that's. 30 feet above the ground that has a has a path. So I think there's a tradition worldwide of, of re uh, breathing life into these old rail lines. Um, I think it's in their nature uh, as as these straightforward uh, corridors that cut through cities that eventually they're going to fall into disuse for trains and and be the perfect place for bikes and people. Um, so the High Line obviously is immensely successful. The Promenade Plante is, is a vital part of Paris. And I think that this is one way that Edmonton could get on a very unique, uh, become part of a very unique group in the world of, of uh, infrastructure like this. So what would be some of the challenges, do you think, in making this happen? Well, um, I think the number one challenge is that the province is, is has a vice grip on the the top deck of the high level uh, for high-speed rail. And to my knowledge, uh, that's the case. And I'm not too sure how easily they would give that up. Obviously, that's also a conversation that is starting uh, to grow in Edmonton and Calgary, um, this kind of commuter rail line between Edmonton and Calgary that'll take us from downtown to downtown in 45 minutes or whatever it is. Um, that's a that's an attractive prospect too. So I don't really think they're going to let that go easily. Um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is that um, it's it tends to be windy up there. Um, it tends to reopen the conversation of what kind of barriers we would need. What are the safety ramifications of potentially having uh, pedestrians, cyclists, and a streetcar? Uh, all together in one place. Um, wood barriers ruin the view up there. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of aesthetic considerations. Um, would it be enough to just lay a boardwalk? Would you need vegetation? What would that look like? Um, things like that, I think, are the, the main hurdles. So if your whole idea couldn't happen, what do you think is the most important part that you'd like to at least see started on? Hmm. The whole idea. That's a good question. I feel like 
I don't really know if there's a halfway. I feel like if, <laughs> if, if you're... All or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I, I think it's apparent that the high-level bridge is getting cramped, and so at the very least, you're going to have to put people up on top. Um, and it's there, ripe for the picking. And I think once you're at that point, um, you're, you're, well, I mean, you're all, you're pretty much already all the way there. Everything else is just the cherry on top, really. Um, I would really hate for it to come at the expense of the streetcar, which also seems to be something that um, city council at least acknowledges is the case. Um, I kind of feel like it would severely uh, taint the project if the streetcar had had to go away, and I, I think I think that would be that's just as essential of an aspect of it is the kind of inter mingling of streetcar and 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 walking and and biking all on a on a on a promenade. We'll take a break and hear about our friends at ATB, and then we'll be back to hear more from Taproot Live. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by ATB Financial, founding sponsor of the Alberta Podcast Network. ATB listens to you whether you're an entrepreneur in search of advice, a parent saving for your kid's education, a home buyer in need of a mortgage, or a podcaster hoping to reach more people. I do all of my banking at ATB, and I'm so happy to be building the Alberta Podcast Network with its support. Learn more about how ATB listens at atb.com slash listen. Okay, well, thank you. I'm going to turn it over to Eric now. What do you think about the desirability of Ryan's idea? I, I love your planning instinct. Because uh, I think what, what I hear from your idea is that you want to have an improved cycling experience across the bridge. And the bridge is the, as I understand it, it's the busiest piece of cycle infrastructure we have in Edmonton. So, so I love that. And then, and then when, you, when you tie in the Highline thing, you're talking about, um, about creating not just a utilitarian um, you know, place to move. The High Line is a place. It's a it's a place that people like to be and to enjoy. And so, so taking that historical artifact of the High Level Bridge and turning it into not just something that we like to look at at afar because it's got LEDs on it that change color every night, but uh, but actually a place to be and to experience. So, um, so I so I like that. I think that that's awesome. Um, there are there's there's obviously practicalities, right? And um, uh, I, th I think the reason I may have been asked, I've been a planner for a long time, but I think the reason I may have been asked to be here is a few weeks ago I was leaving an event at the, uh, the Arts Barns and saw the streetcar for the first time this season. And I thought, oh, my heart just saw that. And I thought, oh, I want that. We've got this beautiful rail connection between Strathcona's old downtown and, and you know, the north side, the, you know, the, the downtown downtown. Thought, oh, I want this to be more than just a, an occasional seasonal tourist thing, but but a real element of our transportation system on a you know on a daily basis, and um, and so I tweeted to that effect. So, um, so that's that's maybe one of my urban planning visions. But uh, um, but that said, um, that. Uh, the, so the streetcars, so just in case people don't know, that the, the Radial Railway Society, I think, is, is to be commended to. In 1997 or 98 or something like that, they brought streetcars back to our urban fabric. And, and today they're trying to extend the streetcar down to White Avenue just to make it more visible and so forth. Um, 
So that said, the uh, the city is just starting an LRT planning process. So so people know what's on the ground. Obviously, you see that, and most people are aware that the the Valley LRT line is under construction to from downtown to Mill Woods. But the city is just about to start, and I say it's so about to start that the website isn't live yet. But it's a, it's a process. Some people know it as the downtown circulator line. It's also the uh, they're they're calling it center LRT. So so tomorrow, the next day, something like that. www.edmonton.ca/center-lrt project or something like that is going to be live. And it's going it's to like be a we're doing breaking news. Here. No, this breaking is news. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I, I hope I, I hope I got the website correct. Um, but uh, it's it's it will involve selecting a route for LRT from downtown to the university area to Bonnie Dune. And so um, so some, some some thinking had been in the past maybe we maybe we take the uh, we tie into the valley line as it extends west through downtown towards Westminster Mall and tie in off 107th Street or something like that go across the high-level bridge and then down to White Avenue and over to Bonnie Doom, right? So that was some of the early thinking, but this process is going to say, what what really does make sense? Does the high-level bridge make sense, or can we even cross the river, you know, um, or should it just tie in over to the valley line where, where the valley line will hit Bonnie Doom? Um, and so um, so the high-level bridge is, is going to be a consideration there. Um, at the same time, because of this, the because of the... the controversy, shall we say, about the, 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 the suicide barriers, there is a, an investigation going on about the bridge itself in terms of it's, uh, it is a, it's a beautiful bridge, it's iconic, but it's also old. It was built in a former day, like construction methods in terms of foundations and so forth are different now. And it, and, uh, it was redone. Um, there was some work, about $20 million worth of work done in the mid-90s. Um, but at that point, the top deck wasn't touched. It was, you know, they, they, cause, cause the trains had stopped and the streetcar hadn't started at that point. And so, so an investigation is going to give some thinking in terms of what, what do we do with this, with this beautiful thing, which I should say is also a historic resource. So it's designated historic resource. So not like we would ever tear it down, but it is, you know, it's, it's got that protection. And so, so could um, we ever just kick the cars off the high level bridge and just, <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, traffic needs to connect somehow, and so so it. But but I mean through through the rethinking of the bridge, I think we'll need to say what should be the uh, the pedestrian bike experience. How can we enhance that going forward? And whether the LRT whether there is an LRT running across the bridge in the fullness of time or not. Um, if there isn't, then hopefully we can have maybe maybe we could have a, a real streetcar, and then maybe we could. Widen it, widen that top deck a little bit as part of a rehab, so that you could have a streetcar safely with with bikes. I don't know if that's possible, but I think that we we need to. It would be wonderful to have a better connection across for cyclists and and for pedestrians, and then still probably maintain a bit of car access too. So, do you think that the fact that there's a couple entry points into a discussion about whether the bridge or what should what what should be done with the bridge, that that could actually open the possibility for Ryan's idea to happen? Or could it be kind of just buried under, well, we have to worry about all this other stuff? I, I, I think so, for sure. I think, like, I'm not sure what that report on the bridge itself is going to say. Um, 
I'm not sure what the plan is in terms of releasing that. Hopefully that will be a public report. I just, you know, I, I assume it will be. Um, but as that center LRT process gets going, um, when, when we do that kind of thinking, it's, it's long-term thinking and we, should, and we should not be just thinking about getting a train from A to B, but, but you know, the, the, um, you know what, what things would tie into that. And so, so, so bike, bike connectivity and how to improve that for the future is, I think it's totally fair game to raise and to, to, uh, to do. There's gonna, be, um, there's gonna be open houses for this LRT process starting, I think July the 12th. There's, there's going to be three in July. And so that's a first entry into, into those kind of discussions. This is exciting. So there's an actual, like, actual, not just here, which is, you know, very powerful, but still <laughs> at these uh, open houses to say your dream. What do you think of that? Uh, I will surely be there. Good. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eric. Did you have anything else to add about it? Yeah, well, just, just about, just about I, I didn't talk so much about the place aspect, the highline aspect. Um, one thing that um, I'm not sure what people think about the funicular or what's what in beautiful city parlance it's called the mechanized river valley access. So that's so that would be a story for Taproot is come up with an actual name for that thing that's maybe better than that um, or just funicular. But as, as part of the as part of the thinking for for that con system of conveyances. Uh, the, the designers were trying, they were, they were inspired by the High Line. I've talked to one of them. And, and uh, if, if you see the stairs that, that are right next to where the funicular is or you know, will be, it, you, you'll see some blocky things. And that's because they've, they've sort of built sitting places or basking places into that stairwell. And so it's not, it's not the High Line, but it was that kind of thinking about how do we take what was, you know, that could just be an up and down utilitarian kind of thing and turn into a place. And so I just, I bring that up because we, if we can do, you know, that's one example and, and hopefully it will be a successful example, but if we can do more of that in projects like rethinking the high level bridge, um, you know, doing that in a way that you know, kind of respects its, its uh, historical integrity, um, that would be beautiful. Awesome. Michelle, did you want to chime in at all on any of that that you just heard? Well, I, I really, uh, you know, I liked your question about, you know, do we, uh, could we ever consider um, kicking the cars off the high-level bridge? And what, what makes me think of that is when we were considering is, uh, the life cycle of the Walterdale, we had quite a bridge design competition, and there was some quite outlandish ideas that were, you know, a little over the top, but there was some really interesting potentially workable solutions that the city at the time I think the you know budget was was exorbitant for for a few of the finalist pieces but um, is there any intention or could there be you know where I don't know where the the high level bridge is in its life cycle but if we're planning you know for the next um, you know usually with with a bridge you're planning you know 20 50 100 year span of this of this thing is is the high level bridge at, at nearing the end of its cycle and usefulness and could it be a viable revisit to do a secondary bridge that um, incorporates some of those in, in, um, original design concepts or that's a good question so I'm not a bridge engineer uh, I see one on the bus occasionally <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I told him hey I'm speaking at this thing um, so uh, so uh, so what I would, I mean, what I understand is that the high-level bridge does need some 
some significant work for the next, if, if we want it to keep being a part of Edmonton for the next 100 years, we're going to have to put like a, a bigger investment into it. Um, that's, that's what I understand, not, you know, not being an engineer myself. So, so yeah, I think, I think that, and, and we'll see what that report says that, that, that's, that, uh, is currently being worked on. I think I, I think I'd seen somewhere that it's set for a, a, I don't know, rehabilitation in around 2020 or 2021. But the question is, to what scale do they rehabilitate these these structures? Is it is it something that is just you know doing the bare minimum to make sure that it doesn't fall into the river, or is it something that really extends its life? And those are the kind of questions. I, I suspect the former or the the latter. Like they really just want to make sure it's structurally sound, and they're not really doing these rehabilitations with any sort of augmenting. Right, but in, it, if we want to be good city builders, we have to try to tick multiple boxes, right? And and if we and certain things might cost a little bit more um, than just just the very basic, you know, functional things. But if they tick a number of boxes, they may save us money in other aspects. And like Edmonton, I mean, just talking historically, Edmonton's high level bridge was significant when it opened, 1913, because it had it had this it had four well four or five things depending on how you counted. It. it had it had the train, it had the CP line, it had the streetcar, it had the cars, and it had pedestrian slash bikes. And that was novel. That was that was funky. And so, like as we as we think about the next generation of High Little Bridge, let's be similarly thoughtful and and uh, and come up with something that's inspiring to for inspiring for the next hundred years. You want to chime in a little bit, Shafraz? I, I, one one thing I would ask you is. Um, the High Line is also a planted place, and so do you. Do you see any possibility for biophilia to show up uh, up there? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. Like what would be hard? It's, it's uh, definitely a structure that I think can take a because it took trains ages ago, heavy, heavily loaded trains. I'm sure a few plant pots and dirt will <laughs> really make it crumble. Um, I was just going to add uh, to Ryan's proposal. Why not leave the pedestrians on the level that they are and just move the cyclists up, just kind of selfishly as a cyclist? <laughs> we, we want all the space we can get. So, um, And I think uh, the, the idea, whether it's a high-speed rail or a streetcar, you could do both. And it's, uh, I think the, the only challenge I see is that it is a historically designated structure. We always run into... Uh, the heritage officers that say, uh, well, do we preserve it as is and have to keep it as is or as it was originally, or can we augment it or develop it further? But it's, it's def for me, the high-level bridge is what stitches Edmonton together, and it's such an important part of our history. I can't see as uh, not having it. So do all you can to make it better. Thank Excellent. You. Thank you. Okay, that was a beautiful dream, and that was good job not squelching. So let's do, do this again. <laughs> Take another break and hear a little bit more about the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB, and then we'll be back to hear more from Taproot Live. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. 
The Alberta Podcast Network will help support creators of homegrown podcasts and provide a powerful way for Alberta-based businesses and organizations to reach the audiences of those very podcasts. Together, we're stronger. You know this. You know that I believe this if you listen to this podcast. And I think we have a huge opportunity here to build a new way to work together thanks to ATB Financial. You can learn more about the network at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Um, okay, Michelle, tell us what your big idea is. Um, I would like to nature bomb uh, Jasper Avenue. Um, a little bit around the concept. Um, kind of, again, I've got a former life uh, in commercial construction and real estate. Um, and there always seemed to be such a contentious relationship between developers uh, and architects and city planners as to how to incorporate nature into their built environments. The developers hate the uh, the current zoning bylaws standards for for trees required and whatnot. It you know it eats away at their <laughs> their leasable uh, uh, f- footprint, but more so. I think, you know, Edmonton has maybe struggled with their identity a little bit uh, as to what we're going to centrally, you know, focus on. Are we, are we a winter city? Are we a river city? Are we, um, you know, uh, biodiversity champions? And I think we do an excellent job at um, biodiversity. I think we've got a lot of initiatives that uh, digging into it further, Edmonton is really looked to as an international global leader in some respects uh, in in our initiatives, but it doesn't leak into the downtown core. You know, when you walk down Jasper Avenue, it feels oppressive if if there's if there's uh, you know lack of a better word. Um, I would love to fill in the nooks and crannies um, with a more natural element, um, and I think. You know, with, with, with Edmonton's breadth of, of ambitious projects that are that are fantastic concepts, but are going to take you know they're they're a ten to fifteen year uh, implementation cycle. Um, I think at times you know we're trying to think from the outside in rather than from the inside out, and I like the idea of approaching some of these concepts at a micro level. Um, so what could Jasper Avenue look like if it got nature bombed in the way that you have in mind? Well, um, the whole idea, you know, loosely centered around uh, one of Shafraz's uh, pet projects with, with Maiden Edmonton um, and their annual street uh, furniture competition, which is happening this weekend. There you go. Um, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's, it's basically community engagement, um, bringing people together uh, with a variety of ex- expertise and uh, ideas uh, for the city that they live and walk and breathe every day, rather than just you know a, a select group of people that, that do this for a living, and seeing creatively what we come up with. Um, there's always been a natural bent, uh, you know, use very natural, just wood, and uh, very little else and imagination. Um, so, when I was thinking about this, uh, it began to kind of form as a bit of a design competition as well, with um, a panel of experts that identify, you know, 10 to 12 sites along Jasper Avenue for to receive a treatment, so to speak, um, 
with some parameters set, obviously, for, for integration. Uh, there'd have to be engagement with, with private as well as public ownership on some of those, those, those spaces. Um, but I would, love, I would love to walk down Jasper Avenue and see a live wall that's three stories high instead of just a small little garden. I would love to see um, some indigenous art, you know, spray painted on, on another surface where it was originally just brown drab precast. I'd love to see, um, you know, a lane turned into, to, uh, you know, a walkway where you could, um, you know, I know we're at times, you know, maybe limited in some of our indigenous uh, plants, but I'd love to see the use of indigenous plants come back and see how we can creatively integrate those. Because we often plant, we, there's planters that have petunias and marigolds in them and, and elm trees, and none of that is really Edmonton original, right? Well, is it? and it's it's prescriptive. It's it's just it's a, it's it's a token effort. It's here's a planter um, for for now. I'd like to see permanent fixtures and installations. Um, you know, when you're walking down Jasper Ave, you wouldn't necessarily see just loud proclamations of, of uh, natural elements thrown up kind of all over a street structure, but what you'd see is a, a living, breathing street that feels different as you walk down it. And when you try to put your finger on it, you realize it's because natural elements have been woven into the fabric of our built environment rather than just, you know, a seasonal a token, so to speak. Like just kind of plopped there That's right. when, yeah. when the weather's nice. What do you think some of the challenges would be? You mentioned that you'd have to get private and public both on board. What other difficulties do you think there might be? Well, I mean, Jasper Avenue is part of um, the Main Street Guidelines projects right now. Um, there's actually a, quite a bit of will from the city, I think, to, to do things like this. But, again, there's... There's a lot of implementation issues. I think, I think funding uh, is probably the major one. I think implementation would be the second, and I think who maintains afterwards would probably be uh, a big discussion. You know, whether, you know, I, trying to troubleshoot around the issue, um, I thought it might be a neat idea. You know, once once uh, you know finalists have been. Uh, selected to maybe have local contractors or builders bid on the projects, build them out, and enter into a contract with the city, you know, on maintenance cycles. But um, those are just initial thoughts, and I think that that would probably be the biggest head scratchers at this point. If your whole idea couldn't happen, what would be a step in the right direction, a small, a baby step for that? I think that given Edmonton's attitude towards, you know, integrating public art. Uh, you know, there's that 1% of construction project uh, with the city of Edmonton. Um, maybe it starts as... Um, it's similar to the 1% for public art, but 1% yeah. for, for living art? Yeah, well, that's, like, without a construction project to attach it to, mm. that's the challenge. That's the problem, yeah. So it's, it's very hard to separate the two and say we're going to designate this public art because then that goes into funding rather than, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like it, yeah. Now it requires either a grant or, you know, goodwill consensus, or something. Yeah, yeah. consensus from, from um, you know, the taxpayers where the first concept is kind of evolved around getting around that issue with, with a community-led effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the two go hand in hand, and I'm not sure how we could really implement something on that scale without 
without uh, the funding to go in hand. Right. Okay, well, let's ask Shafraz about the practicality of this idea. Right. So, you don't like marigolds? <laughs> but like, but they're nice, they're, but, they're the but they're not indigenous. City flower. I know, but they're not indigenous, are they? Are they? No. They're not indigenous. No. <laughs> they're from Mexico. Mexico. How did they become the city flower? I don't know. <laughs> Dustin? Okay. Um, I, I, I love the ideas, and I, I love that uh, Michelle uh, borrowed our street furniture competition uh, template. And to full disclosure, she was on the board of MAID uh, at one point in time, so that's, that's where it came from, I think. Uh, I would really encourage this to be like a community-led initiative. So whether you can uh, get someone at the community league level or or groups of people to adopt a block or a street to do that, and or and or to crowdfund it, sort of like the oh. light the bridge, right? Yeah. So if you get people excited about the idea and show them how they can fund the idea together, I think that's doable, and that that would you know then allow them to really have the ownership around it, and if they have ownership, maybe they will maintain it and keep it going and, and keep it vibrant. Um, the hard thing about plants in Edmonton is that if anyone's like myself tried to grow a plant in a pot, a perennial, and left it over the winter, it dies <laughs> over winter. Right. Uh, well, usually our temperatures uh, freeze right through the pot and kill the roots. And so a living wall is a little bit of a challenge. And even green roofs in our climate, we've designed some green roofs. And they're usually brown roofs because they're they don't get enough water, uh, even with all the rain we've been getting. But uh, we have to accept how uh, to to allow them to evolve and change, and, and sometimes be brown, just like grass should be when there's not enough rain instead of watering them mechanically. Um, but I think there's ways to figure that out, and probably with Dustin's help, uh, figure out which are the indigenous plants that would be very, very well suited to be grown on sides of walls. And maybe it's mosses and maybe it's uh, uh, things that are, are hardier to survive the salt from the winter and the, uh, the pedestrian sort of traffic. Uh, but the, the kicker for me is how do, you, how do you also take advantage of our winter? And I think um, some of the landscape architecture that excites me is when when uh, the designer specifies shrubs or or tall grasses or something that actually pokes out in the snow or creates mounds or creates you know uh, a, a winterscape that takes advantage of the the vegetation so i i'm i i, I even want to see planters or, or shapes that help uh, create snow shelves that make it kind of neat so just kind of some structure there. Tossing yeah, well, ideas. What, uh, what got me thinking about the living wall was there's a company out of Vancouver and they do indigenous plants. It's a lot of conifers. It's not, you know, you're not going to get the lively California wallscapes with the lush green. Uh, but they plan for, for the life cycle of plants where the fact that they're going to be brown for a certain part of the year gets incorporated into the overall scheme. And there's They've been experimenting with soilless uh, cells as well. So if, if an area of the living wall dies, you know, you can take it out and, and replant. So 
Um, my thought around that, because yeah, you don't want this dead hanging thing, you know, uh, for eight months of the year, um, you know, is to incorporate maybe a commission. That's what I was looking for uh, before. Commission. A commission of, uh, you know, kind of a light installation that could could light up. Um, and, and as Faz says, if it was interesting texturally as well, you know, when it's caked with snow, um, with potentially a lighting installation um, to, to accompany it, it would have a life cycle all year round rather than just, you know, four months in our, in our summer. To what extent do you think it would improve our, the, our, the citizens' experience of Jasper Avenue to have more living things along there? Is that, it? Is that a thing? I know you think it's a thing, but tell me why that's a thing. Uh, uh, there's certain parts of Jasper that really need it. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they've tried to improve the, the real core part of the city, right, from 100th Street to, I think, up until 103rd. It has new paving and new benches, but very little plants. So uh, it, I think, yeah, they would totally help. And maybe that's how you also delineate how uh, how far you are, like from Oliver into downtown, is maybe there's the density of the plant material changes to to show, okay, we're moving away from the urban part into the residential part, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. which the Oliver part actually needs it a lot more yeah. in my mind. Do you think that because we have this lush river valley that is so green and is is this this park through the middle of our city that that kind of lets us off the hook to it's like well just go walk over there if you need some green stuff. <laughs> you can never have enough green stuff. No, I yeah. <laughs> but it, it, that's sort of a hard thing to argue, and I think that's why we have the mechanized river valley access. Right? <laughs> what a great engineer, engineer uh, thought of name of of trying to get more people down into the valley, right? and that's why we have, you know, all of that happening. And I think that's our recognition is sort of to figure out how to get. Um, the livability up in our city is, is these uh, injections of people into green space, but maybe we need to have more injections of green space where we have people. Beautiful. Um, Eric, what do you think of this idea? I like it. I think Jasper Avenue has, um, well, yeah, as, as Shafras said, like west of 109th Street, there's not a street tree to be found. Right? And so that there's that, and then in the in the downtown portion, so east of 109th Street, there are there are some dead spots, and I, and my urban designer colleagues have talked about that, and um, the idea of having you know some sort of creative some sort of creative activity or maybe grant program or maybe it's a competition to do something with those dead spaces. I don't I don't remember them talking about the the green aspect, and so maybe tying that in with the city's. Um, the, you know the city's uh, biodiversity planners, so that it's uh, so that so those that connection is made. I think would be really good. Um, and then and then uh, you know, Shafraz was talking about a bit of Jasper Avenue that got redone a few years ago. I think that, that there's always maintenance concerns in terms of when you redo a streetscape and um, you know worry about uh, the landscaping looking bad, and you know, so sometimes that reduces the green. But I think we we have like we have a downtown business association. And it's we, yeah. Do you know anyone who's involved with that? Um, so so uh, I think that the the down the DBA 
may um, you know represents property owners, and and I, th I think we maybe underestimate the uh, the potential for just for individual property owners because I mean they they have people who maintain their buildings and they pay like you know heaven knows a lot of money goes into window washing. That's just a maintenance function, but can there be maintenance that that uh, goes into maintaining some 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 nice green aspect that the, that uh, you know the, the building helps pay for don't know but i mean the the downtown business association and property owners might be you know they might be an avenue to approach they're, they're responsible for the marigolds and pots they created that program where you can Get pots so they put could out be quite open. They, they could uh, open to something in addition to. Was, it's a gateway else. flower. That was so 1990. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to my guy there. Well, speaking of gateway flowers, like marijuana is about to be legalized, so maybe we should have a crop, right? So it can fund itself. <laughs> there are no problem. Ryan, did you want to chime in on this idea before we wrap up? Um. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting to me is that as, as downtown is growing, there seems to be this conscious realization that green space is needed. We've got Alex Dakota Park and then the, the much larger park that they just announced uh, last year, I believe around 106th Street. Um, and so I'm, my hope is that as, as we go up, um, we we begin to really consider what the what the streets going to look like and um, and it seems like green is the way that current city council is going and and I kind of hope they go on that same path moving forward. Um, the the question I have is is there a way to get like I'm I'm not much of a sun guy. I really like trees because I'm a shade guy. <laughs> and so if you're walking downtown, it's not often you get you know the big meaty trees that you have around here, where you get the nice canopy coverage on streets. And um, one thing I think is is you know kind of a defining feature of our downtown is it's very wide. Like people love their sun here, and you can't escape it if you're someone like me because the streets are wide. We're still low downtown, but I would love to see some canopy coverage in the core a little bit more. I don't know if it's possible. Maybe it's completely unrealistic. I think of, I think of streets like 104th Street, which vaguely get there. There's a lot of trees, and it's becoming built up. But I would wonder what it would take to plop down some nice heavy trees throughout the downtown core to you know fall asleep on. <laughs> Thanks so much to our panel for taking time to share your dreams and expertise with us. As a token of our gratitude, I'm going to present you after we're done with some emoji pins, courtesy of Sandra Brunas, so that you can display that on your on your on your lapel. And Mac, do you want to wrap things up? Okay. Thanks for tuning in to the Seen and Heard in Edmonton podcast. You'll find links that we mentioned in the show notes at seenandheardyeg.com, and you can subscribe to the newsletter there as well. You can also see way more about the uh, ideas and the dreams that we uh, uncovered during this live event at taprootedmonton.ca. For details on the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB, sign up for updates at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.